My name is Sarah. If you don't know me, I am on staff here at church. I help run our first impressions team. So if you didn't get a bulletin, I'm sorry. That was my husband's fault. Um, he remembered at 1015. Um, I also help run our women's ministry with an awesome team of other ladies. And then um, I get to run a Bible study at Muskegon Community College, where I get, just get to pour into the lives of college kids. And so today I'm going to preach to you about taming our tongues. Have you ever said something and immediately regretted it? Sometimes I just flat out say the wrong thing. Like when I stood up here a couple weeks ago and I called Elton John, John Elton. That was embarrassing. And I've done it like three more times since then. <laughs> to be fair, John is a first name, not Elton, okay? It's confusing. But sometimes you also say things and you realize when you look at the person and you see their face that what you said either wasn't taken the right way and it wasn't what you meant, or you just hurt them. And then there's other times where I say something and immediately when it comes out, I just want to push it back in because I know that what I said wasn't loving, I didn't think it through, and I hurt someone. So one of my favorite comedians, Brian Regan, has a sketch about saying something that he regrets. And we're going to watch it now together. You know him good? I'm always putting my foot in my mouth. I don't stop to think. I just, you know, just, oh no, words are coming out. Oh no. I'm not thinking what is that. Like I met this woman recently. I could have sworn she was pregnant. Let me tell you. I know now. I think the rule is uh, don't guess at that ever, 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 ever. Ever, 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 Something like that. I didn't have enough ever's memorized, you know. So I said, hey, when's that baby do? You ever feel a word coming up, but it's too late to stop it? And, oh. it's, com it's coming out and loud. Hey, when's that baby do? Baby! What baby? Oh. At the zoo, the, the pandas. I knew they were trying to have one. I just, you know, thought we'd talk about them. Talk about the fluffy zoo animals that day. I hear they got them over there. You can, you can go look at them and, if you want, touch them. So as Brian reminded us in the sketch, it's easy to run our mouths without thinking before we say things. And a lot of times we regret what we say then. So today's passage is called Taming the Tongue. And we're going to explore together how to tame the tongue so maybe we don't end up in awkward, embarrassing situations like our friend Brian did. We've been in James, the book of James, for four weeks now. Just a quick recap, James is Jesus' half-brother, same mom, different dad. He also um, was a really prominent person in the early church. And so the early church was formed right after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And so he's writing to the people that time. What's awesome about the book of James, it's straight to the point. There's not a lot of, this is what I think he says. It's pretty easy to tell what he says. He has a lot of great information about how to be faithful people and live out our faith in the world. So, so far, we've discussed how to find our joy in suffering. We've discussed how to listen to God. We've discussed that we shouldn't favor one group or one person more than another group or person because we're all made in God's likeness. And then last week, Pastor Matt taught us how our faith changes our actions. 
And so today, we're going to continue down a very similar path. We're going to talk about how our faith changes what we say. Let's look at the passage from James 3 together. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of life, one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. The word of the Lord. So the first verse is just... A concise warning to teachers within Christianity. James has a sharp warning for them that they're going to be judged more strictly. And that's because teachers have a great impact on believers. Sometimes it's a good impact, and sometimes it's a bad impact. James is warning the teachers to watch what they say because they have influence on others. And then in verse 2, he goes from the small group of people, the teachers, to everyone by saying, we all. He's opening it up to all of us now. I don't know if you noticed, um, but James has some really harsh things to say about the tongue. But he's actually not alone in his warnings. If we look throughout the Bible, it's pretty consistent theme that we need to guard our mouths. Solomon, Jesus, Paul, and other big names warn against the wrongful use of the tongue. For example, in Matthew 12, 36-37, Jesus warns, By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. 
In Proverbs 15, 1 through 4, it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. The tongue, it seems, can either be the source of great good or great evil. He likens the control of the tongue to a rudder used on ships. That's the small thing that goes under the ships that directs where the ships go. So without these things, ships are uncontrollable. They, are, they go wherever the wind or the currents take them. So when I was thinking about this idea of a rudderless ship, I thought of the pool floats on Lake Michigan. Have you ever seen the warnings that especially the state parks put out? Warning, do not use pool floats in Lake Michigan today because of strong winds and strong currents. They especially tell you not to put infants in them. And I was thinking about what it would be like to be in a pool float on one of those days. I have swam when the waves are pretty big in Lake Michigan, and I already feel like I don't have a lot of control. You're ever in the middle, and you're swimming, you're having fun, and then you look back, and you're like, I don't know where my towel is, but I think it's like seven miles that way. The lake pushes us in different directions. I can't imagine being on a pool float having to deal with that. My guess would be that in a matter of minutes, I would be way out in Lake Michigan, and that is nowhere I want to be on a full pool float. The only time I want to be in Lake Michigan is on a boat, a very large boat. So like that pool float, without a rudder, a ship would be at the discretion of the winds and the currents as well. But with that small rudder, the captains are able to steer the ships in the directions they want to go. It's all about having control. James also compares the tongue to a small spark, saying that both cause great destruction. So fires today, they're pretty scary, right? There's wildfires burning all over right now. They're scary. There's people having to move, to get away, to evacuate. That's nothing compared to what fires were back in the day when James was writing this. When a fire started, it spread rapidly in all directions, really, and it left this wake of death and destruction. There wasn't the internet or phone calls or things like that letting people know they needed to flee. Unless you could see the fire, you might not know. And so there was a lot of death that was caused by them. Fires were and still are destructive. But just like the fire starting from something small, so too can one word, one phrase, or one sentence cause uncontrollable damage. Have you ever tried to stop a rumor after it started? It's almost impossible. People are quick to repeat what others have said, and so on and so on, and that's how that rumor mill gets started. Just like a fire, rumors spread rapidly. They also leave a wake of destruction. It, like a fire, can get out of control. Not only can our tongue hurt others, but our tongue can also lead our own bodies astray. And so um, while reading one of the commentaries, I really liked his explanation on um, verse 6 in James 3. It says, 
Corrupt speech spawns corruption of the body, while the corrupted body sets in motion the evil course of an entire life. So just like a parasite destroys a host organism, the evil tongue becomes parasitical upon the whole life of the individual and indeed the church itself. I don't know about y'all, but comparing anything in my body to a parasite makes you want to fix it or get rid of it because those things are gross. In this case, we need to control it. In short, if we don't control our tongue, we are allowing ourselves to be corrupted. James then really gets into the meat of this issue, why it matters so much that we control our tongues. He says, we can't praise God with the same tongue that we are using to curse others. So I want to clarify what cursing means in this case. It doesn't necessarily mean swear words, but we could argue that if we are swearing a lot, we don't have control of our tongue. But that's a whole other sermon. I'll let Aaron preach that one. But cursing in this context, it means wishing ruin on another. I think most of us, maybe even all of us in this room, can think of a time where we wish something bad might happen to a person. I hope he gets what he deserves is a pretty common phrase in English. James argues that we shouldn't be cursing one another because everyone is made in the image of God. And that means to dishonor any human being in some way dishonors God. So Pastor Holly discussed this very similar concept of treating everyone equally because we're all made in the image of God. So as we look throughout the book of James, we see James is consistently reminding us that we need to speak to and treat others in the same way we speak to and treat God. Let me repeat that. James is consistently reminding us that we need to speak to and treat others in the same way we speak to and treat God. There's a meme I see every once in a while on social media that I immediately thought of when I was reading this passage. Let's look at it together. It says, the Sunday lunch crowd 30 minutes before verbally assaulting an 18-year-old waitress. I promise you I did not make this meme, and I promise you I did not edit this meme. This is how people see Christians. It breaks my heart that Christians are well known for their rude behavior at restaurants, especially on Sundays. This meme portrays this hypocrisy that James is really talking about here. Immediately after we're worshiping God in the sanctuary, we're going to restaurants and we're getting mad at waitresses because maybe our food takes a little longer. Maybe they accidentally messed up our order. Maybe they didn't get us our refill fast enough. Did we need the third refill on the Diet Coke? Maybe not. Either way, we're probably cursing him or her, and we're really frustrated. But wisdom begs us to think about these kinds of discrepancies between our actions one moment and the words that come out of our mouth later. They should not be opposites. He fleshes out this concept by comparing the act of praising and cursing from the same mouth with a spring, not being able to produce both fresh water and salt water. In this analogy, praising is the fresh water. It is life-giving. It is value-adding. It is good. Think of our Great Lakes. 
we brag about them being unsalted. It's because fresh water, not only does it not dry out my skin and make my lips taste gross, it's in high demand. In fact, it's in such high demand that there is a law that states all eight states plus Ontario and Quebec all have to approve of any large quantities being taken out of the Great Lakes. People want it. Fresh water is valuable. And so is praise. On the other hand, James says cursing is like salt water because salt water is undesirable. It cannot be used for bathing, drinking, or irrigation, at least not without this long, high-energy process that did not exist back when James was writing this book. In short, salt water was useless for life. So is cursing. He also compares blessing and cursing from the same mouth to a fig tree not being able to bear olives or a grapevine bearing figs. So James is pointing out that a fig tree, if it were to bear olives, that would be unnatural, right? It should be unnatural that our mouth can praise God and curse people from the same mouth. Praising God on Sunday morning and then on Monday morning, speaking dishonoring words to someone or wishing ruin on someone should feel unnatural to us. Now, it seems pretty hopeless here. In fact, James flat out says it's impossible to man. And I'm going to touch on that for a second. But knowing that something's impossible, I don't know about you, but my initial reaction was like, I should just cut my tongue out or sew my mouth shut. That'll solve the issue, right? But James is not actually saying that silence is better than speech. In fact, abstaining completely from something does not actually help you learn control around it. For example, I love donuts. I love donuts so much that every Fat Tuesday I buy two long johns from the store and I immediately eat them in the parking lot in my car afterwards. Ask my husband, it's, it's a ritual. So then I started volunteering in our cafe that gives away free donuts. This is great, right? Well, God started convicting me that maybe I didn't need to eat one, sometimes two, donuts every single week. And so the easy way out was I could just say, I'm not going to serve in cafe anymore, right? Another easy way out, if that didn't work, was I could just say, I'll come through the kids' entrance, I'll enter this side of the sanctuary, and I just won't go anywhere near those donuts. If that didn't work... I could have just chose a different church without donuts. There's a lot of them, guys. But instead, I felt God calling me to learn this little thing called self-control. I want to clarify two things real quick about this analogy. First off, if you eat a donut every week, I am not judging you, okay? We all are convicted about different things. There are things that tempt us in different ways where one person may not be asked to abstain from it and the other may, okay? So if you eat a donut, keep eating the donuts. They're great, okay? Also, this analogy does not work in regards to addiction. People who struggle with addictions, their best bet is to try and completely be rid of that temptation in all areas of their lives, or at least try to do this as best as they possibly can, okay? But this analogy works really well when we're talking about learning to control our tongues, We're just sewing our mouths shut. James is not pleading for cowardly silence. 
but for a wise use of speech. James wants us to learn to control our tongue. I would argue he's begging us to learn it. So how do we control our tongue? I first just want to say that I'm constantly having to practice this. I don't get it right all the time, and there are days that I know I've hurt people with my words, and I have to ask for forgiveness. So I want you to know this sermon is as much a lesson and a reminder for me as it is for anyone else. But I have noticed over the years that there are three tangible ways that help me tame my tongue. It's also important to note that James is making a point here. Remember when I said he said it's impossible to man? It's not impossible to God. And so these three ways are going to show us how we can use the help God gives us to learn to tame our tongue. The first way is to practice the help from the Holy Spirit. The second way, stay disciplined with spiritual disciplines. And three, ask others to help hold us accountable. Bear with me for a second. I know saying, practice the help from the Holy Spirit sounds like this pretty lofty, confusing step, okay? It's actually a lot easier than it sounds. I promise you, God has not audibly spoken to me. The Holy Spirit has not made me lose connection on my phone before I say something I regret or make me physically stop opening my mouth so that I don't say something. I really wish you would start doing that, though. But I can say I feel nudges from the Holy Spirit, especially during, sorry, before, during, and after conversations that really help me know how better to control my tongue. Let me give you some examples. I know there are days when I am more emotional than others. Sometimes I didn't sleep well. I have a five-month-old at home. I haven't slept well in like, I think, half a year now. Some days I know I'm sleep-deprived and I'm probably going to get grumpy real fast. There are other days where I'm in physical pain. And pain is pain. So if you are in physical pain, most likely you're going to react emotionally because it doesn't feel good. And sometimes something really upsetting or frustrating has happened to me or has happened in the world, and so I just know I'm more emotional. Every time there's a school shooting, I know I can't deal, and I need to just take a break from society. Either way, on those days, I often feel the Holy Spirit remind me not to engage in hard conversations that day. Sometimes I ask, have to ask for a delay on a meeting that I needed to have, if it's something that I know is going to be really emotional. Sometimes I felt led to tell my family or my coworkers, hey, I'm having a rough day, and I just might need some extra space today. In fact, um, our house has a saying. It's called, if we, feel, we can feel grumpy, that's fine, but we cannot be mean. And so we know, if somebody says that, that we should probably give that grumpy person a little bit of space. We can also feel the Holy Spirit nudging during conversations as well. Sometimes I'm reminded that I need to smile and excuse myself from a conversation if it's getting heated and I'm feeling angry and know that I can go back to that conversation when I'm no longer emotionally invested. There's other times I feel a nudge in the middle of a conversation to just take a deep breath and refocus. And other times, I felt the Holy Spirit remind me of Scripture. A lot of times, it's a Scripture from Ephesians 4.29 that says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up each other according to their needs, 
that it may benefit those who listen. The Holy Spirit really knows when unwholesome talk is about to come out of my mouth, and he likes to remind me of that. And lastly, every time after I've said something that I know hurt someone, I feel the nudge to apologize. I'm an empath, and I absolutely hate hurting people's feelings, but I'm also human, and I don't love apologizing. But I know if I don't apologize, I'm going to make that worse. And so I do it anyway. It may be awkward, it may be uncomfortable to apologize, but we need to do it because we need to start normalizing apologizing for the mistakes that we make. Instead of saying things like, sorry you felt that way, that's not an apology, by the way. Just because you say I'm sorry doesn't mean you're actually apologizing. We had to teach that to our five-year-old lots of times. Instead, we should be saying things like, I'm sorry, I said something that hurt you. I shouldn't have done that. My hope is that as you've heard my examples of nudges from the Holy Spirit, that you've thought of some of the ways that he nudges you too. Maybe you'll be more aware of them as they happen. And so this next step, it really goes hand in hand with practicing the help of the Holy Spirit. We need to be faithful in our spiritual disciplines. Pastor Matt talked about the importance in spiritual disciplines a couple weeks ago. There are things that help us grow as a Christian, and there are things like reading the Bible and having devotions, praying with and listening to God, coming to church, congratulations, you guys did that one, and also fasting. These things not only help us grow in our faith, but they keep us spiritually healthy. Here's the thing, the more spiritually healthy we are, the more in tune we are with the Spirit. And the more in tune we are with the Spirit, the less likely we're going to say hurtful things. There have been times in my life where I knew I needed to exercise self-control. I found myself repeatedly saying, I just don't have any self-control. You can't blame me. I was using it as a cop-out, as a reason to allow myself to continue doing things that I shouldn't be. But self-control is actually a fruit of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He saved the best for last. What's cool about the fruits of the Spirit is that they're things that the Spirit can give us, that he can help us with. But in order to perfect them, guys, we got to practice them. We don't just get baptized, or we don't just ask Jesus into our heart, and then all of a sudden we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's not how it works, okay? We have to ask the Spirit to help us. And so when I realized that I needed to be more faithful in my self-control, I also realized I could do this by being more faithful in my spiritual disciplines. And so every morning, I would ask God to help me with my self-control. And then I would give specific examples. If I knew I had to talk to someone who tends to get me a little riled up, I would ask for patience while dealing with them. Help me control my tongue. If I was about to go to a buffet, Lord knows I struggle at buffets. <laughs> if I was about to go to a buffet, I would, have him, I would pray that he would remind me that gluttony is not something he asks us to partake in. We have to be specific sometimes. I also got in the habit of reading and reciting and learning, that's how I learned the fruits of the Spirit, um, Bible verses about self-control. There's actually a lot. 
If you have one of those awesome study Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, ask me, Pastor Matt, or Pastor Holly. We would love to give you one for free. But if you have one of those study Bibles, in the back, there's like the um, common word section. You can find self-control in there, and then it lists all the Bible verses about self-control. Maybe memorize one or two. I noticed over time that the more I was thinking, praying, and reading about self-control and how important it is, the more I actually succeeded in having self-control. Spiritual disciplines help us. Lastly, sometimes we need to ask others to hold us accountable. God created us to be relational people. He created the church so that we would have people who are going to cheer with us when good things happen and cry with us when bad things happen and support us when we need support. And so if you're struggling with something and you need help, I encourage you to ask someone. For example, there was a time earlier this year where I was so bad at controlling my tongue that every night after bedtime routine, if you are a parent, you know bedtime routine. It's the literal worst time of the day. Those children, they have all the needs in seven seconds. I don't understand. They're not thirsty the whole day. Then at bedtime, they need seven glasses of water. I don't get it. But anyway, I was having a bad time of controlling my tongue. And so every night after I put my daughter to sleep, I'd wander back in because the Holy Spirit nudged me and said, go apologize. So I'd go in, and I'd lay down on the bed with her, and I'd tell her I was sorry, that I shouldn't have said those things, and that I should be nicer. And I was doing this day after day after day after day. And then finally, I had a good day. I controlled my tongue. I didn't say anything mean. I felt good. I didn't have to go in and apologize. And sure enough, five minutes after I put my daughter to sleep, she comes wandering out, and she goes, Hey, Mom, when are you going to come apologize to me? I want to go to sleep. <laughs> Y'all, she had added that into her bedtime routine that Mom would wander in and apologize. So that's when I knew I needed a little extra help. So I texted my mentor, and I said, Hey, this is what's happening. I need some help. And her advice really changed how I speak with my daughter. She reminded me to speak with love, to let my voice be submissive to God, and most importantly, to bury any harsh word that is about to escape. This is my favorite part. Let it die without it reaching my daughter's ears. Her response really sums up what James is saying in chapter 3 which is fascinating because I texted her months ago, and when I scrolled back through my text to make sure I got a response right, I don't want to lie, I had, and it perfectly matched my sermon for today. In summary, we need to speak with love to others because they are made in the image of God, and we are called to love every single person, especially our daughters at bedtime. We also need to be submissive to God's prompting and leading. That means we probably need to be a little slower to respond to things. Instead of firing off that angry Facebook comment or that email, how about we take a deep breath, we pause, and let's just close out of that program. We need to wait until our emotions have subsided and we can think more clearly. Then, if after like 24 hours, you still feel the need to respond, because there'll be examples where we do have to respond. Probably not in a Facebook comment, though. I'm going to be honest. That's not usually a great way to ever have an argument. We need to seek the wisdom of God 
on how to respond before we respond. Because in the process of seeking the wisdom of God, we're doing that last point. We are burying any harsh word, and we're letting it die before it leaves our mouths. Because listen, God is never going to tell you to curse anyone. I promise you. He made all of us, and he loves all of us, and so we need to. We are going to need to say some hard things sometimes. I get it. We have to have tough conversations. But a lot of times, those hard things that we need to say can actually be said in kinder, more loving ways when we seek the wisdom of God. So as we leave here today, may we be people who remember everyone is made in God's likeness, every single person, even that neighbor you don't like. May we be people who are submissive to God's leading. Let's feel for those nudges from the Holy Spirit. And may we be people that let those harsh words die before they leave our mouths. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for each and every person who's in this room or who joined us online. Thank you for who they are. Lord, we pray that you would just help us learn to control our tongues. It's hard. It's impossible without you. We pray that we would remember that and that we would lean into you as we learn to do it. Lord, we pray that you would just um, be with us as we get ready to do communion. We pray that you would help us um, remember what communion's about. Lord, thank you for this time together. And may we walk in your wisdom and your glory as we leave these walls. Amen.